0: Hi, my name is Andrea. I'm from Serbia and this episode is brought to you by MPW membership. Did you know that all MPW members get access to monthly feedback on their tracks from an industry audio professional? This is the perfect resource if you're almost finished with your track and need that professional ear to help you with the final touches. This is a free feature for all MPW members. Take advantage of this awesome function and so many more using the link musicproductionforwomen.com slash membership.
1: Uh, What am I saying? (laughs)
0: <laughs> this is MPW MPW, MPW. <laughs> the podcast with <laughs> your host Milo Aria. Cool. A podcast about Our music, music production. production
1: for the everyday, everyday musician music. where we learn from experienced studio engineers and, and each, each other. Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of the MPW podcast. I'm your host, Zylo Aria, and today we are talking to the lovely Poppy Reed. So Poppy is the managing editor at Rolling Stone Australia and also the Bragg Media, which includes Tone Deaf, the Bragg, the Industry Observer, Don't Bore Us. So yeah, we're really lucky to have her with us today. So hello, Poppy, and thank you for sharing this hour with us. How are you doing? Oh my absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. No worries, no worries. So you said you're kind of in the middle of a few deadlines at the moment. So is it always that hectic for you or is it kind of ebbs and flows? How does it work? I would say it's
0: almost always this hectic. When we first (laughs) launched a a couple, like a year after we first launched, we launched this thing called the Brag Bible and it's essentially our culture document and we use it to as our kind of our true north as staff. This is, you know, it has our values in it and it shows like what we as a business are all about and what's important to us. And we also send it to people who are thinking about coming on board with us. It's a really great way to see whether they align with our culture. Some people are like, it's actually not what I'm about. This isn't what I'm seeking in a job. And other people are like, oh, I'm going to thrive in this environment. Thank you for sending me this. And in that document, it says, it's always crazy town. Like, (laughs) that's actually a line that's in our brag Bible. And... uh, I live it every week. Yep, it's true.
1: (laughs) Okay, that's excellent. Well, it's good that you're not, you know, trying to sugarcoat it and and things and and you're kind of telling everyone exactly how it is. So that's great. And I would love to hear, before we get started into the music journalism and pitching for press and things, a bit about your career and, you know, where did things start in music for you and how did you end up uh, where you are today? Yeah, well, I grew up in New Zealand. And when I was young, I used
0: to write a lot of stories. Like when I was really little, just used to write, you know, short stories and stuff like that. So I knew I wanted to write. Mm -hmm. And then I moved over to Australia when I was 15 with my mum and my sister. And that was when I really got into music. And I really got into like pop punk music. I was a bit of an emo. Love, love being an emo still. You you can't really ever get rid of that part of yourself. (laughs) And and I was studying journalism at uni, at Griffith Uni on the Gold Coast and I pretty much made every assignment music related and one of the reasons was because I love music so much but I cannot play music I can't sing I can't do I'm not a musical I'm not a musically talented person I'm just you know the fangirl like a really really proud fangirl mm. so yeah I would make all of my assignments about music and then when I finished uni I was just looking for a job in music journalism because, to me, music journalism is such a beautiful uh, sector because you get to tell the story of one of the most fascinating people in the world who are musicians. You know, the the fact that you do you do what you do just it amazes me. I look at albums and I I, sorry, I listen to albums and I listen to songs and I'm like, how the heck did they move me so much with Mm. one line or one you know bar like it's just I just find it so fascinating so so to be able to to tell stories about musicians and help get their story across is just it's such a privilege to be able to do and I think that artists don't have that many opportunities to show exactly who they are to their fans and their mm-hmm. audiences and you know they obviously have their, their music and then they have their live show and they um and their albums and and uh, interviews that they do but in terms of really offering more context around their artistry, music journalism does that. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's a huge responsibility and that's why I love it so much. So Mm -hmm. I, there was a, do you remember Faster Louder? I don't know if you remember, it it turned into Junkie, the behemoth that is Junkie today. It started off as this music website called Faster Louder and they Mm -hmm. had a forum on there and that forum would have job opportunities and things like that. And there was an opportunity to do an internship in Sydney, and I was living in Brisbane at the time. And so I moved to Sydney, and I worked for free for six months at the Music Network, and then uh, was offered a role uh, on the editorial team. I think I was editorial assistant to start, and then I think I worked up to associate editor or something like that. And Uh, then became editor after a while. And then I was there for seven years all up. And my now boss, Luke Gerges, launched his own media company and asked me to come and help run it with him.
1: That's awesome how you've kind of built this uh, path for yourself. And you know deciding to move from from Brisbane you were saying to Sydney for something that uh, I guess you might not have known really where that was leading to it was sort of an unpaid internship what was going through your mind at that time and did it, did it feel like you know a bit of an unknown or did you did you feel like no that was that was the right path you
0: know what's so weird i don't see myself as an extremely courageous person i don't mm. really see myself as you know, the, the the huge risk taker in you know my circles mm-hmm. that I'm in. However, when I moved, there was no part of me that was scared. <laughs> like I was just like, well, this is an opportunity, right? Like mm-hmm. even though I'm I'm gonna be working for free, what a great opportunity to just delve into the, the world of music. Um, media publishing. So yeah. no, I didn't have any fear, but I did arrive and I didn't have anywhere to live and I didn't know anyone and I didn't have a job. And I just figured that all out on the way. It was all right. Mm. It all worked out. So it's that weird thing, like where you kind of just have to trust the universe a little bit and go, yeah. okay, I'm handing it over. Um <laughs> sending yeah. out good vibes only. Hopefully that's what I get back.
1: Yeah. I love that. I love that. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a thing that probably, you know, external to you, everyone was like, oh, you know, that's a really big step. And I, I assume you would have heard that from people of like, oh my gosh, you know, um, aren't you scared or, or anything like that? And, um, and you just went ahead and made it work. And so many people that we've spoken to have taken these sort of leaps, which to them didn't really feel like a leap. It just felt like, you know, the right thing to do or the next step. Um, but you, you can sometimes hear from other people's perspective that it feels uh really scary so um so you know I guess it is it is a courageous thing to do whether you see it that way or not so that's that's awesome and it and it started there and it and it has obviously kind of been uh been an incredible journey for you and it's one of those examples where I think it's important
0: not to ask too many other people for advice mm. on on big moments in your career you know like I think if I had sat down with a bunch of people and said, I'm thinking about moving to another state, another city, and I don't have a job or anywhere to live. And, you know, what do you think? I think a lot of people might have, you know, put a bit of reality into me, which is that is, that's a bit scary. Um, what's the plan kind of thing. And yeah. I think it's important just to to kind of follow your gut in a way and just go. And also I have a, a beautiful um, relationship with my mum where I knew that if it all messed up, Mm. I could just go home to mum and live with her again and she wouldn't be upset with me. And that's a really privileged thing to have. Not everyone has that. Not everyone has a stable home life that they can essentially go home to if it all messes up. Um, Mm. So I'm very lucky.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. I think that's a really, really good point that you mentioned that, you know, uh, we can feel like we need to get the approval of a bunch of people before we make that decision, but uh, at the end of the day, it's only you that's in that mind frame, and only you probably know what's right for you better than every other person on the street. So, um, so that's good. And and that family support, I guess you can't really, yeah, you can't replace that with anything else. So, it, it's lucky to to have that. So. Thank you for sharing your story with us and it's really great to see how you've got to what you're doing now. So a little bit about our topic today which is pitching to journalists for your music and as you mentioned as an artist you maybe don't have all the different ways to talk about your music and that's where music journalism does that um, for the artist. So how much difference does it make firstly if you're an artist if you're pitching for yourself or if you're pitching through a manager, because this seems to be something that a lot of people think that they need to have, you know, a manager before they reach out to journalists. So what would you say about that? Mm,
0: that is a really, it's you know, if I'm going to be completely honest, and I think it's important to be truly mm-hmm. transparent about my role and how that works and, and how it might be similar to other music editors as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. We get, a lot of emails mm-hmm. you know I think that myself and, and Tyler who's our Rolling Stone editor timed it one day and I it's like about a hundred every hour most of them are press releases that come mm-hmm. through we cover a lot of things outside of music brag isn't music Rolling Stone obviously covers TV and film and all those other culture and social issues and things like that. So Mm. there's a lot of uh, publicists that have our email, which is great because it means we get all the information in one place. Mm. But it also means that when we receive an email from a manager or a publicist who we have a relationship with, who knows our publications, Mm. we're going to read that from start to finish probably with a more keen eye and we are from an artist that we don't know who's reaching out. And there's ways that you can reach out as an artist where you have more luck, um, where you're more likely to have your email read carefully, as mm-hmm. opposed to just you know the subject line or the first couple of lines. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can go through that if you like. But the the point I'm trying to make is that if you are a, a solo, uh, if you are sorry, an independent artist who doesn't have a team around you, mm-hmm. you need to be very careful when you're pitching in what you include and how you pitch because the relationships that editors have with publicists is actually quite incredible. The publicists curate the pitches that they send to these music editors based on what they know works well on those publications mm-hmm. um, and what those publications offer. So my huge tip to anyone that is does not have the luxury, and it is a luxury to have a publicist or a mm-hmm. manager because, you know the the fees related to that I know are quite high um Mm -hmm. and as they should be publicists work ass off sorry to swear but it's true I've literally I've I'm um I know a few music publicists and and you know they do God's work for sure if you don't have that then when you are pitching to music media Mm -hmm. my biggest advice is to curate your pitch so Say you're pitching to Tone deaf which is one of our publications, you would go on the Tone Deaf site, see what we publish quite often, mm-hmm. and then pitch accordingly. So you will see on Tone Deaf that we do premieres, which mm-hmm. is when you know, we show our readers a first listen, but we don't do them that often. And the reason mm-hmm. why we don't do them that often is because they don't track that well. So if you, you know type in premiere, you won't see you know, ones happening every day or every mm-hmm. week, even. You'll see that they're quite sporadic but you will see that we do quite a lot of Q&A interviews called get to knows. And you will see that we have a thing called video of the week every week. And we also have a thing called record of the week. So Mm. you might look at that and go, okay, I'm going to email Poppy and I'm going to say, can I please have either a video of the week, a record of the week, or a get to know, and Mm. here are all the details that you need to make that happen. So that I'm not going, oh, yeah, sure, let's do a video of the week. Hey, do you have the, the video link and mm-hmm. maybe a press shot and maybe a little bio about you and a couple of quotes about the video and, and streams and assets and all that stuff? Mm-hmm. You don't want the music editor to chase you. Mm-hmm. Um, you should just provide all the information. I've literally had a couple of independent artists reach out and say, hey, I've we've never talked before. I know that you do get to knows on tone deaf. And I'm actually taking the liberty of writing my own based on the questions that I saw online. And here is my Q&A. Here is my press shot. Here's Mm -hmm. my video to embed. That's what I'm actually promoting. Um, And here's a bit of information about me. And it's all in the one email. And I've just gone, this person's an angel. Mm -hmm. I love the music. I think our readers are going to love it. And I don't even have to go back to them. When I replied, I went back to them with the link. And I said, we just popped it all up. Thanks for the info. Here it is live. So um, if you are an indie artist, you've just Mm -hmm. got to make the editor's job as easy as possible, which sounds crap because it's not your job to make our job easy, but it definitely helps.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's really good to know and, and really helpful. And would you, because then there's the other question of, including too much information in your email, if you've got, you know, a really long thing where they've written up the whole article, but maybe, you know, when you open the email, you're like, oh gosh, I don't have time for this huge chunk of text. How would you recommend someone get past that? Oh, that's where like attachments could
0: be good, right? So you could say, you know, you could be a very quick email to say, um, hey, I would love to have a song you need to know on Rolling Stone Australia, mm-hmm. which is something that we do that that Tyler chooses. And attached is the press release about mm-hmm. the song mm-hmm. and also attached is my press shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want uh, my bio, I've linked that here or I've attached that here too. Mm-hmm. So the the actual email is, you know, quite brief, mm-hmm. but I've, I still have all the assets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know what you mean. Sometimes you open an email and you're like, oh, I need to make some time for this one. This looks like a bit yeah. of a long read. Um, and then you put it off until you know, it's, you know, suddenly Saturday and you don't want to be
1: working too much on a Saturday. Definitely, definitely. And then because you hear sometimes from people as well that with attachments, they've, uh, you know, some journalists feel like their their uh, inbox is getting too big and they're kind of running out of room. Is, the, is there like a, a size that you would recommend or is it better to uh, link to a Google Drive or something like that? Oh, yeah. Google Drive is great. I
0: mean, mm-hmm. you obviously want to give them the high res image just in case their specs are quite high res on their mm-hmm. site. There's nothing worse than getting an image that's perfect, but not being able to put it on your site because it'll be all pixelated. So mm-hmm. yeah, definitely Google Drive is, mm-hmm. is the way to go. I know I use superhuman email, which is this um, it's, a, it's a paid email service. And the whole point of it is to help you get to inbox zero every day. And mm-hmm. so I'm. So with that, you get like you know, it's kind of like tons of room. You don't have to worry about your inbox getting too full. But mm. uh, for anyone that wants to like hack the the inbox zero, superhuman, it's it's my little savior.
1: So good. Okay. Okay. Oh, that sounds excellent. And so say there is an artist, and they've they've got all this stuff. They've done their research, put everything on a Google Drive um, or wherever they they are putting all this information. Then what should they do as far as timeline goes up to the release and how how much time should you give the journalists?
0: Yeah, I mean because we the news cycle is so fast, right, and if you book something well in advance um, and we say we're going to do it, then we're going to do it. We stick mm-hmm. to our word. If you let us know the day of or the day before, I might look at the next two days and just go, we just don't have capacity for this. Mm-hmm. This is way too this is way too cool on. The But you don't want to ask w- way in advance. You don't want to say, hey, I don't have any of the assets, but I'm mm-hmm. releasing a song next year. Just want to let you know I'll follow you up then. You know, like you might not even get a reply for that because people go, okay, cool. Well, they'll reach out when yeah. they have all the assets. So mm-hmm. my advice would be reach out when you have all the assets, even mm-hmm. if it's an unlisted link. So you mm-hmm. might obviously be pushing a a YouTube video that isn't even live yet. So send that link and that this will be live on this date. And if you're you're okay with the story or the article or the content piece not going live on the day that you would like it to go live, Mm. you should really mention that because, Mm. you know, if someone says like, hey, we've got the song out next uh, Monday, can you cover it on the Monday? And we don't have capacity on the Monday. I think, well, cool, we've missed the boat. And Mm. sorry, but if they say, look, it's out Monday, but, you know, if you could publish any time from Monday, whether it's a week from there, two weeks from there, a month Mm. from there, we'd appreciate it. Then that's going back on my list to pitch into the team. Mm.
1: Okay. Okay. Yep. That's some great uh, tips there. And so would you say that's maybe like a couple of weeks before release or or like a month before? Is it just as soon as you have everything that you need?
0: Yeah, I mean, if you have everything you need and it's a month before, I would probably say that's a bit too far out for online. If you're pitching for a review in our magazine, however, which is quarterly and we have to go to print, this is wild, but we have to go to print a month before the magazine hits stands and is with our subscribers because of the distribution and printing and all of that stuff. So mm-hmm. if it's print well than bef- a month before for our magazine, which mm-hmm. is quarterly, if it's for online, you know, a week before, a couple of days before is totally fine as long as you've got all those assets.
1: Okay, okay, cool. Good to know. And if you don't get a response, how often would you say that people should follow up or should you follow up?
0: I I love a follow-up. Yeah. Like I, I kind of need a follow up sometimes. Sometimes <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. like, oh my god, thank you for for following up with me. Gosh, this one I just totally spaced on this one, or um, yeah, yeah. or I missed this one. So really appreciate the follow up on my mm-hmm. end. I would say if you follow up three times,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, so that's you've sent your email and then you've followed up three times after that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You're you're just not going to get a reply. Like just yeah. cut your losses and um and that's also around you know there's a there is a real um it's a good idea to manage your expectations when you're pitching to media as well like instead Mm -hmm. of doing the spray and pray approach which Mm -hmm. is i'm just going to send this to everyone i'm not going to personalize it i'm not going to curate it you're less likely to get pickup than if you choose five to seven media publications and curate each one Mm you know like this uh this pitch is for is for Poppy for these publications, and this mm-hmm. pitch is to Nastasia uh, for music feeds, you know, mm-hmm. and you really curate those based on what goes well on those sites or what you've seen them cover, mm-hmm. um, you're much more likely to get
1: a response. Okay, okay, cool. And are there any things that you would definitely say to avoid, like any huge pet peeves that you have when you get contacted?
0: Yeah, I do. I do actually have a couple. Yeah. Um, so my biggest pet peeve is when people send me the information and then at the end they say, "Let me know what you think," and I don't know what to do with that. They haven't said, "Can I have a song you need to know? Can I have yeah. this? Can I have an interview? Can I have a news article?" Like they haven't mm. actually told me what they want, and they've also asked what I think, which actually isn't important. It's important what our readers think and what mm. goes well based on. The what I've seen them engage with. So it's best to have, you could say, do you know, like tell me what you think, but then definitely ask for what you want is, mm. is my thing. Other things to avoid would be, oh, don't contact like the head of the company. So if people hit up Luke, our CEO, and say, hey, I've got this press release, can you get it covered? You know, best to do your research and work out that, that Luke is the CEO and I'm the editor. Mm. And because you're, you're just less likely to get a response. Lucas, Lucas busy. He's um he's a million miles an hour, that man. Like he doesn't yeah. have time to to respond to things that relate to my role. And another pet peeve. Oh, uh, don't assume someone's gender is a good one. And try and spell their name correctly. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. and oh yeah, tr- if you're copy and pasting from another pitch that you have sent a competitor email, mm-hmm. make sure that you've changed those details. You know, I have seen a mm-hmm. lot of emails that say like, you know, I would love to see if we could get placement here on NME, or I'd love mm-hmm. to see if we can get placement here on music feeds. Mm-hmm. And what you're doing is basically giving that editor free reign to not reply to you. And understandably so too. Yeah. Uh, another thing that happens, and I don't understand why this is a tactic, but some people will, when they follow up, they'll they'll say, oh well, if you don't reply by this date, we're going to pitch it to name competitor oh, here, <laughs> which, you know, like, I mean, I kind of understand it because, you know, they are on deadline and I get that. Just say, like, I, I do need a, a, this was an exclusive offer and if I don't hear from you, I, I will pitch elsewhere. Like, just, you don't need to yeah. name the competitor because, mm. you know, like, it's kind of, um, it's just, it's finicky. Maybe that's mm. just a personal preference of mine that, that I see as a pet peeve. Mm. Um, what else? Yeah, just when the when the pitch isn't curated accordingly, like you mm. would never pitch a hip-hop magazine uh, an EDM artist, although mm. there's a lot of crossover with EDM and hip-hop. What's a better example? You'd never pitch like a, a country magazine uh, um, an EDM artist, say. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah like just kind of knowing,
1: knowing your audience and showing your research as well, mm. yeah. Mm. Okay. Oh, so many great points there. Thank you, Poppy. And I'm sure, uh, you know, a few there that... A few people are, are guilty of doing maybe accidentally or or not. So um really good things to to be mindful of. I did think of one more. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Go for it.
0: i got one more. Okay. Um oh don't be really salacious with your uh with your subject line. You know, okay. don't say things like you'll you'll never guess what happens in this music video or something like that. It's like it's not BuzzFeed. I know it seems kind of obvious, but this stuff does happen. It's not BuzzFeed. Uh, they're really good at, you know, doing those kind of listicles and that kind of thing um, and getting you to click on really amazing content. The hours that I have wasted on BuzzFeed personally, um, you know, just do, like explain in the subject line exactly what you want. Like a few of my favourite subject lines are record of the week, colon artist name album title Mm -hmm. I know that I am being pitched for our record of the week spot for this album and this artist you know Mm -hmm. just make it very like clear
1: yeah okay yeah also very good point uh thank you for mentioning that one as well and um one thing that you mentioned about you know uh, contacting the right person uh in the publication and, and not emailing Luke for something that should go to you would you recommend that people contact specific journalist that they're trying to pitch to or if there's like a generic email on the website to go there instead you know what do you think is best? Yeah
0: if you can get the the actual journalists so say you know a, a publication some publications are really um siloed in terms of they have their political journalist and then they have mm. their music journalist and then um they might have their social issues journalist if you can get the the correct journalist email that's what you should go for. A lot mm. of those uh, info at or hello at, a lot of those just don't go to the right people, to be honest. Like mm. we have a hello at the brag and that goes to our partnerships team because okay. we we looked at a lot of those emails that came through and most of them were about people wanting to uh, book a campaign with us or spend mm. for advertising. So mm. that just goes to them. It doesn't even come to me.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. That's good to know. And, Another thing that, you know, I think as all musicians, we can probably feel this at some stage is taking the lack of response really personally and then kind of feeling really dejected about uh, everything that we're trying to do and feeling really discouraged. So what would you say to someone who's feeling that way?
0: To journalists, sorry, to artists who don't receive a reply from media publications or journalists, I would almost encourage them to expect it Mm -hmm. just because, you know, you heard me talk earlier about how we get around 100 emails per hour. It's a lot to go through. Things get missed. Mm -hmm. If you do follow up three times and you don't get a reply, you know, that's that's a really crappy feeling. And I I know what that's like to really, you know, kind of spend a lot of time on an email and craft it in a way that you think is going to really be exciting and Mm -hmm. just not, not get a response the amount of emails that I sent to Rolling Stone before we operated the publication when I was a freelance no I was when I was at the Music Network and doing mm. a bit of freelancing mm. you know and you just craft these emails thinking like this could be it it's amazing but don't stop trying ever like mm. Nev I eventually was asked to do after you know, multiple emails hassling Rod Yates, who was the previous editor of Rolling Stone Australia. Mm. I was asked to do an album review and then a couple more and then I was asked to do a feature and, Mm. you know, you just can't give up. Yeah. Mm. Um, And also know that there are a lot of publications out there as well. There's blogs popping up. Um everywhere. And you know maybe that will really help with your pitch with the publication that you really want to get into. Maybe you know if a couple of smaller blogs that are run by one journalist you know out of their home, if you get a couple of things with them, a couple of runs on the board essentially, then you know that could lead to, you uh, eventually being picked up by the publication that you're really into but also media is not the be-all and end-all in the making of a music career like there's Mm. just no way that you should think that being rejected by a media publication means a rejection of your music or uh, a reason to to give up in any way or form on your music career because you know as we've seen uh it's it's fans who make those rules in terms of what gets heard and and how often it gets heard and it's there are so many communities online where music is being shared and talked about and fawned over that Mm. are not related to a music site you know there are reddit threads dedicated to artists and genres that you might fit into there are facebook groups dedicated to the types of music that you make, you know, so there mm. is there is definitely so many other opportunities for you.
1: Mm. That's such a good point, uh, yeah, to mention as well because, yeah, I think it's so easy for uh, for artists. It's such a vulnerable state to be in when you go and and pitch your music, and it can be really easy to to make that feel like a rejection of your art, which it's not at all. So, yeah, no, that's really helpful, Poppy. I think uh, it gives people a good idea on exactly what approach to take for the best chance of success. But I I also really like your point of maybe not expecting a reply being your default. And then if you do get one, it's a bonus. So uh, maybe that helps to, to see it that way. So Coming to your career, uh, I guess, what would you say has been the biggest highlight for you so far? Well, you know, like
0: I mentioned, Rolling Stone was always a publication that I wanted to work for and be aligned with. And once I started writing for it, and once I had a long-form feature published in it, I literally thought, well, that that's it. I've hit my life's goal. I can die happy. And <laughs> You know, that's, that's the cat. And then someone who I used to work with, Nathan Jolly, he said, I think you should be editor of Rolling Stone. I think that you would do a great job of that. And I was in my twenties at the time. And he said, you should do it before you're 30. I think that'd be cool. And I like, it's so weird when someone believes in you in a way that you never thought possible for yourself. When someone when someone says it would be cool and i think that you would be good at it like that i just from someone that you really greatly respect as well mm. there's something something shifted in me when he said that and and it was the idea of of possibility like really do you think i could do that and then i think something planted in my brain of like well let's just try and manifest that you know let's really try and think about how Let's imagine myself in that role, and let's imagine um, what I could possibly do if I was in the big chair. Mm-hmm. And then when I joined the Bragg media, and Luke started by acquiring, publications he acquired Mm. tone deaf he acquired the brag and we launched the industry observer and we launched don't bore us i planted the seed with him and said hey you know like if you want to acquire a brand rolling stone would be really cool i would love to work with rod yates and Mm. and matt coit were the editors at the time and so he started discussions with them he just he started discussions with the previous global um shareholder and then, when that shareholder sold to PMC Penske Media Corporation, which is the the, the current company that owns um, most of the rights to Rolling Stone globally, he started conversations with them, and and that was about a two year process, just like starting those conversations and then it coming to fruition. So that was that's definitely like a highlight becoming managing editor of one of my favorite publications that I've just been reading since I was young and. Yeah. And just you know, like looking through the you know the publisher's page, which says like mm-hmm. who the contributors are and who the who the sub editors are and all of that, and going through those names and just like going, how cool would it be to have my name in there?
1: And um, and now it is. <laughs> uh, that's so exciting, and yeah, uh, it's it's really cool to hear how that played out. You know, starting from a little seed being planted in your head and kind of making that happen somehow, and and you know. I I do have a big belief in like manifestation and things I think mainly because just thinking about it as a possibility just changes how much or how hard you work towards it I think you know and and there's a there's a difference between just dreaming about it and not actually doing anything but when you actually feel how how great it would be to be that role, uh, to be in that role, and kind of um, what you could contribute. It just increases your motivation so much. So, I think you know what you were saying of, of kind of seeing yourself in that role probably had a huge amount to deal with. It, I would say.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. Just that kind of yeah. You're right. It's not. It's not dreaming. It's mm-hmm. like imagining the steps that would need to happen to get mm-hmm. you there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, as well, and thinking really you know pragmatically about it too yeah do you do that do you do like you imagine yourself doing something or do you have things that you you know goals that you've achieved in your life that started by a bit of manifestation
1: most definitely. So I'm a huge fan of different ways of goal setting, and I, I have my more practical goal setting of of like the next month. So always at the start of the month, you know, goal setting for the month is is a big thing that that I do. And then the longer term, which is a bit more of that dreaming element, but not it's not just a dream, you know, it's really kind of putting yourself in that position and thinking, if all of these happened, you know, how good would that feel and exactly what would I be doing um, in that position? And, yeah, so <laughs> I'm definitely a big fan of that and uh, and I do try and do that. So um, it's great to see when some things come to happen and, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I thought about that. But sometimes I think you forget as well. You're like, oh, yeah, this just feels like the next step without realising that it, it probably was a big deal for you a few years ago yeah yeah it's so important to reflect
0: on that stuff isn't it you know like and 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 kind of own those wins for a bit and and have that gratitude for what you already have too that's a big thing that I try and do is just go you know kind of imagine that I don't have what I have you know Mm. that's that's one of my little secrets to happiness is if I imagine that I don't have it then I'm then I'm so grateful that I do and then it makes you um you know because it's important to not always be trying to live somewhere else you know Mm -hmm. always be looking at the the whole grass is greener thing isn't always great it's great to have ambitions and great to have things that you want to achieve but if you're not appreciative of where you're at then what's the point
1: yes yes for sure for sure and the book I don't know if you you read um the resilience project I read that about a year ago and that really talked about that a lot you know just seeing people, especially, you know, my background is from India and going back there. And I, I see so many people with with very, very little, you know, but they're so happy. And, and that just makes me, you know, every time reflecting on that, thinking, my gosh, what am I complaining about? You know, if these people can enjoy their life and make the most of every day, then I have no, I have no reason really to, to be complaining, but that's not to say, I think uh, it's also okay to, um, to also, you know, sometimes just, just not feel so good. Anyway, now we're kind of going down a separate rabbit hole. Yeah. You've got to check yourself Um, sometimes. Yeah. 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 No, for sure. But celebrating your wins, I think, which is kind of what we were talking about a little bit is, is such a, such a nice thing because you can always, forget uh what you've kind of achieved and then just be like oh yeah that's the next thing now let's move on to the next goal without uh without appreciating all, all the work that you've done up to that
0: point. i interviewed uh i was able to interview keith urban for the latest magazine that's out now that, that he's on the cover yeah and he's one of the most humble people i've ever met he's just that man is so appreciative of everything that he has and he is just stoked on life you know he if if I'm going to go to his concert when he comes I think it's next year mm. and you know he said something about because we we did one one of the interviews was at Kudos Bank Arena and it was empty and it was where he's going to perform three times um when he comes mm. back and I said you know how do you make how do you make sure the people up in those seats and I pointed right up to the ceiling like how do you make sure that they You know, have a good time. That's really far away from the stage, isn't it? And he's like, I know what it's like to be in that seat. He's like, I know what it. He said, I. He said, everyone coming to a concert has a story and a journey of how they got there, and it's my job to make sure that they get their money's worth. You know, no Mm -hmm. matter what that cost is. That and he. And he said that he goes out on stage, imagining that he has an audience of people who have their arms crossed and are looking at him like prove, you know, prove to me that I should put my arms down. I should uncross my arms and listen to you and pay attention to you and respect you. He, it's like, he's got this thing called beginner's mind where he, he always likes to start from like a clean slate. And that's what that is. He comes out on stage pretending that he hasn't already won them over. There's screaming people. There's women with signs. There's people that are just so excited that he just walked out there yeah. and he pretends that he has to win them over every night. And, you know, that's that whole appreciation from from his end. It's really incredible. Um, And the other thing that he does around beginner's mind is his studio has no awards in it. You know, he's won four Grammys, all of these things, you know, I think he's like 20 multi-platinum hits or something like that crazy. And he's got no plaques, no awards in his studio. And he needs to um, go into that feeling like he's making his very first album all the time.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, it's, it's, that would be such a tough thing to do. I mean, going to the audience and pretend that they're not into your music. I feel like um, mm. uh, people are often doing the opposite to try and kind of get themselves uh, psyched up. But um, yeah, that, that's an incredible way to do it. That's what um, drives them. Yeah, yeah, wow. So talking a bit about uh, challenges then, Poppy, what would you say has been, Uh, the most challenging part of your your career and how have you overcome that?
0: Yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a couple of things that have been quite challenging uh, over my career. One of them that sticks out is, you know, the move from the Music Network to the Bragg Media was such an exciting decision for me. It was, you know, I'd been at the Music Network for uh, seven years, but I'd only managed one staff member there. You know, at the end, you know, after the The business was sold off. It was literally just myself, one other staff member, and some freelancers. I think it was, it was one freelancer that I was um, commissioning articles from. Mm. And then I came over to the Brag media and we had about twenty staff to start. And that I had never managed that many people. I mm. had never kind of been in a position where I was looked to to make decisions for a, a multiple, publications it was really overwhelming I made a lot of mistakes and I learned from those mistakes thank goodness you know and I one of the big lessons that I learned as a as a manager is that your staff the staff that I have they really crave uh, and rightly so transparency they just Mm. want to know where they stand, how they're doing in their role and, and how they're impacting the business. They really want to know like how they personally are impacting our day to day. And that was really difficult for me to do on an individual level when Mm. there was, was a lot of people and I was still figuring out the role and everything. Mm. So now we have a lot of systems in place and structures and I don't manage as many people. We're kind of siloed off. We have We've we've kind of um, gone down in staff, and we have separate sections of the business now that are that are just a lot more concentrated, which is great. We had a whole video team previously. We don't do video anymore Mm. in house. Um, We outsource that whenever we need, which is, you know, uh, means less staff. And I'm still learning. Mm. I'm still figuring it out. But that was a huge challenge to go into this business where in a role where to be completely honest, if I had have seen the job description for that role, I would never have put my hand up.
1: Okay. So how did you end up there if you, if you didn't kind of know what was involved really? I know. I just said, yes.
0: So so Luke called me and he said, I'm starting this business and, and I'd like you to come and run it with me. And I said, Mm. yeah, cool. And then he was like, oh, we should probably do an interview. And I was like, yeah definitely and so I I came to the the office and we sat and we talked and we talked about plans and his vision and I really got it and I mm. really felt the same about how you know if I was going to lead a company like this that would be my mission mm. too and so we aligned on a lot of things and then we worked out what salary would be all of that stuff mm. and they said okay cool I'll send you over the contract and the contract had the job description so I'd already said yes <laughs> so and I see this job description and I think there's no oh way I God. can do that. I don't have any experience. With, I had no experience with budgets and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't know my way around an Excel sheet in a way that I should, given my role. But thankfully, Luke supported me a lot and mm. gave me a lot of training. And um, I'm now at a much better standard. And we also have someone in the business who's a whiz at Spreadsheet. So (laughs) I, you know, I I definitely use him a lot. That's Dan. Uh, Yeah, so it's like, it it really does feed into that, the research around the difference between uh, males and Mm non-males when applying for a role where apparently the research says that, you know, if males can do 50% of what's on the job description, they'll go for it. Whereas Mm -hmm. non-males, it's more like, they need to do about 90% for them to to say yes, that they'll do it. Yeah.
1: Mm, mm, I'm glad I didn't see yeah. it.
0: Otherwise I wouldn't
1: be here. Yeah, exactly. And maybe it happened for the best that it was that way um, and you didn't see the description before. <laughs> but, no, that's great uh, to hear how you kind of overcame those challenges of starting this new role because it sounds like a huge, huge change um, in, in what you were doing and uh and working it out as you went, and learning from your mistakes, which which you mentioned, uh, you know, I think people seem so important about making mistakes, but but I guess that that is how you learn. So um, uh, totally, and to and also like mistakes are important if they're
0: ambitious mistakes, you know, mm-hmm. like a, you know, like little tiny mistakes, you know, those are things where mm-hmm. you know you got to learn them a couple of times, and if you mm-hmm. keep making them, then you know maybe you're not. Quite in the right space. But Mm -hmm. if you're trying new, different things outside your lane, then you are growing. And of course, like if there's, if you try something completely different that you've never done before and you don't make a mistake, like, oh my goodness, are you like a heightened human being or something? You know, like, Mm -hmm. I don't get that. So, yeah, I think it's really important to make ambitious
1: mistakes. Yeah. No, for sure. For sure. And what advice would you have for someone starting out their career in music journalism? Do lots and lots
0: and lots of writing and even more reading. You know, like, look, you want to have your own voice and, of course, but, you know, really read voraciously the editors that you love mm-hmm. the work of. You know, I have an app called Autumn, which is A-U-D-M, and it's just a, a paid app that has all of the articles from, some of my favorite publications like rolling stone the atlantic new yorker new york times and it reads the stories to me and it's not a robot it's someone that's actually read the story and recorded it which means Mm. that i can ingest more articles because i can listen to articles while i'm out for a walk or whatever Mm. um and and that that has definitely helped improve my my writing I'm, i'm still improving my god like i've definitely still have things that I'm like that are out there in the world that I'm not proud of and but they're a sign of me growing as a writer and also I would say don't worry about not having the job that you absolutely want so say you want to be a journalist who does a lot of photography with your journalism or does a lot of video interviews Do that stuff anyway, you know, Mm -hmm. like start a blog, start a medium page, start an IGTV channel, a YouTube channel, a TikTok channel Mm -hmm. and interview artists that, you know, are maybe a a little bit more emerging that you can get that content out there on, you know, like Mm -hmm. just do the role without having the role is basically what I'm saying. (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay, <laughs> cool. No, great, uh, great advice there. So thank you for that. Well, that takes us to the end, Poppy. So thank you so much for sharing uh, all of your kind of insights, really useful uh, for artists and, and budding journalists. So um, you've got your deadline to get to, so I will let you get back to your day. Um, but thank you for spending this time with us.
0: Oh thank you so much. I really appreciate even being asked and I'm so appreciative of what you're doing. You know, we talked before we started hitting record about what um you know how you you want more women in the production field and and more non-males in the production field and I just mm-hmm. think that is so important. You know, mm-hmm. this industry needs a lot more representation, a lot more diversity and your um, you know, you're tackling that issue head on. So that's awesome. Thank you.
1: No worries. Doing our best. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Poppy. Bye. Thank you. Bye.